Hey, welcome everybody back to another fun week on the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today I've got a super cool guest who is, I believe, and we'll find out more knee deep in whiskey passion like me. And he's seen some cool whiskeys. And we're going to talk about the journey and the excitement and all that. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Robin Cooper to the show. Robin, welcome. Hello, Gavin. How are you doing? Listening over here. Rob, you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. I would love that. Sure, Gavin. Uh, well, my name's Robin Cooper. You got that bit right. Uh, and <laughs> I, my role is global whiskey advocate for the Campari Group. So Campari is a you know, significant player in, in the business. We, The company owns lots of brands in lots of diff- multiple categories from Italian aperitivis, the namesake of the company to vodka to rum to tequila to amaros and of course to whiskey we are quite big in the bourbon business owning wild turkey bourbon russell's reserve latterly or most recently wilderness trail also a kentucky straight bourbon we also the company also owns 40 creek blended whiskey and i think of one of the jewels, certainly in the portfolio, would be the Glen Grant Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, which, being from Scotland, is a real passion of mine. So, my my role is um, within the company. I mean, I work on the global marketing team as a kind of a consultant advisor. I'm, I'm involved in innovation and communications, some of the stuff by the scenes, but more importantly, I mean, it's the outward facing role as you know the the brand ambassador, the global brand ambassador. Where it's my responsibility to recruit consumers into the brands, and that's done through tastings, educational masterclasses. In fact, I think you and I will be at the same event in a couple of weeks' time in Las Vegas. I started, Robin, just, Robin, just to put in perspective, it's next week. That's how fast this year is flowing. Oh, gosh, it's next week. Next week, you and I will be in Vegas at the Universal Whiskey drinking some amazing liquid. All right, Pat. <laughs> yeah, no, time flies when you're having fun, Gavin. And, and that's oh, the, yeah. it's having, it's, it's great to, to, to do something that you love, you passionately love to do. I mean, my journey, you know, started, back in the beginning in January, 1994. And this is my, actually my 30th year, but I started at United Distillers in Glasgow in Scotland. So that's where I'm originally from, still from Scotland. Although I've been based in the US for the last 20 years. And what is that in 1994, what's, what is the Scotch whiskey landscape look like? I would imagine in Scotland, it's business as usual, lots of amazing whiskey, but internationally, anything? Not much? Well, it's a good, that's a good question. I mean, like, you know, the, the U.S. has been considered the home of Scotch whiskey pretty much since World War II. You know, it's the biggest market, and it's probably the market that the industry has invested most in, in terms of, you know, building, you know, these great brands that, I've been in, in this market for such a long time. But when I joined, you know, Venezuela was the second biggest Scotch whiskey market. You know, who would think that Venezuela would be up there as one of the biggest Scotch whiskey markets? And 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 then just a question on that, I'm going to start, because this is all so intriguing. question on that is whiskey in the 90s, I mean, Venezuela's buying, What in the, does anyone care about age statements? Or these are just like, just good whiskey and it doesn't have to have a whopping number of decades and written on the on the on the label well i think you know back then i mean blended scotch whiskey still really dominated global sales of scotch whiskey mm-hmm. and it was at that time you know the single malt category was still very very small you had seen you know glen livet had been on the market for, for some time you know I mean, the, all of these distilleries were was, was were 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 marketing their wares at that time, but I mean, the, the malt whiskey category was was much much smaller than it is now. I mean, nowadays, I, mean, I think here in the U.S., the single malt Scotch whiskey category is crested about two million 
nine litre cases, which is, represents about 25% of total Scotch whiskey sales. But in terms of value, and I'm, I'm getting a bit technical here, Gavin, but in terms of value, it's, it's closer to 50%. So the big transformation in the last 30 years has really been the, the incredible fast pace of growth of the, the single malt Scotch whiskey category. And blended Scotch whiskey, certainly in the US, has 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 been sort of declining a little bit. Um, so that's, I think, probably been the biggest transformational thing that that I've seen in my time in the industry. You know that that swing to more single malt Scotch, and and that's where the Scotch whiskey industry is really sort of. Enjoying that credible growth, not just here in the U.S., but of course around the world, where consumers are discovering, you know, these little distilleries. Um, even the big distilleries in Scotland are still quite small, and the whole tradition behind it, you know, the process of making whiskey, which is fascinating, the the actual stories about these distilleries. I mean, the 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 malt distillery that I work on, the Glen Grant. I mean, we're over 182 years old having been founded in 1840 and you know and that that's a long long time it, it's it's a great industry to be part of i'm very lucky oh i mean just the i mean just the his, history you know i i was in kentucky recently and i went to buffalo trades like on premise and that's also from the 1800s and i'm like how did you even think i mean this is no cars this is like building huge buildings and stuff by hand and bringing it in, you know, on, on wood and sliding it along. It's like, it's wild that all of this was going on, you know, in the mid 1800s by passionate individuals with a purpose. You know, these weren't guys like sitting in a cave, you know, <laughs> straining stuff through a piece of leather going like, hey, that's whiskey. These were guys who were like, hey, we're going to make good, we're going to make good whiskey. Do it. Yeah. Let's build it. Let's, let, let's have the foresight. I mean, I looked at some of the plans, the architectural plans, and I'm like, this was not guessing. This was meticulous detail. Well, it's interesting to say that. I mean, from, from a Scottish perspective, I mean, you see the Victorians were great engineers. You know, they were building, you know, bridges, tunnels, canals. You know, they, they were, you know, the Stevenson rocket had already been invented. So they they were basically mapping out the British Isles, you know, the railroads. And of course, that ingenuity comes into making whiskey, you know. And so, you know, the, the, this kind of evolution of whiskey to where we are now, I mean, it's still pretty much, you know, a, a combination of, you know, of course, there's much more science in it, you know, in, 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 the, in the industry today. We know more about, you know, the barley. We know about the maturation process, you know, but... There's still a lot of art and alchemy involved. And, you know, if I could just call out, you know, something that's quite interesting, which I think you and many people who are engaged with this industry is that people in this industry tend to stay in the industry for life. You know, you look mm -hmm. at J Jimmy Russell, the master mm -hmm. stiller at Wild Turkey. I mean, he, he joined, and by the way, he was third, you know, generation of his family. But he started in 1954. 1954. So, you know, next year it will be 70. Think about it, 70 years that Jimmy's worked in the American, in the bourbon, Kentucky bourbon industry. And, and then we have Dennis Malcolm at Glen Grant. Now, he started in 1961 and he was only 15 years old. And when he started, I mean, you, you talked about, you know, tr transportation there. I mean, they didn't even have calculators in those days. No, they didn't have forklift trucks. You know, they they would have, you know, they would they would weigh barrels empty, fill them, weigh them full, then gauge the proof number of proof gallons, and you know, hydrometers and thermometers would gauge the the alcoholic strength, etc. I mean, so you know, there's been a lot of progress in in technology, but fundamentally, I mean, you know, it's it's the it, the 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 industry is pretty much the same. Well, I was I was with a distiller who's been around a long time, and I said, "What's the difference that you've seen 
with whiskey today versus whiskey when you started 40 years ago. And he said, technology has enabled us to 100% stand behind. The whiskey you're drinking today is the cleanest whiskey that you could ever drink because all the impurities and all that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. technology is able to do it. Now, I then go back, you know, I drink a lot of cast strength. I drink a lot of stuff out of barrels. You know, I geek out on that shit. And I go, well, hey, the whiskey I'm drinking today is like cooking in a nonstick pan. I want the skillet pan. <laughs> I want to pick up some of the crud that was that was left over from the refill or stuff like that. But you can't have it all. And, you know, it's, just, it's where I go. Because when I heard that, I'm like, oh, man, that's like, that's just too vanilla. I want a little bit of flavor. You know, I thought that there's no flavor. I totally get where he's coming from and respect how the technology has helped because those are things that they, that, you know, the distillers do worry about are the impurities and, 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 and off notes and stuff like that. And they want a consistent product. Everybody wants a consistent product. Well, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, bourbon and scotch whiskey are, you know, sister categories. And of all the distilled spirits, let's say dark spirits, and I'm including, you know, rum and, and Armagnac, cognac, etc. You know, bourbon and Scotch whiskey have are probably the most regulated of all the distilled spirits. You know, the federal standards of identification in America mean that bourbon is, can only be made a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's you know similar rules apply to Scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. I think what that does is it, it guarantees the to the consumer, you know, a, a very very high quality product. That, now that's one thing. That's one thing. But it, I think consumers taste change all the time. And my my father, you know, but way before I joined the, the Scotch whiskey industry, I was very accustomed to hear hearing about six o'clock in the evening, him opening a bottle of famous grouse, you know. And he was, my, my dad was in the British Army. He was an officer in the British Army. And they all drank Scotch whiskey. And it was all blended Scotch whiskey. And that's what. Oh, they, 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 I mean, you know, Rob, I'm, I'm born and raised in South Africa. My dad would pop open that J&B around six o'clock. You know, and that's, you had J&B and you had Bell. Yeah. And then like a little, like, you know, more in the 80s, all of a sudden Johnny Walker was around. And it was yes. it was red and black, and if it was like something big, oh, somebody brought out that Johnny Walker blue, and everyone was like, ah. Oh. Oh. Well, before that, about the <laughs> you would have the Johnny Walker swing, the I think the King George the Fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Then you had the green, then you had the gold. I mean that that brand is is I think. It's it's the the number one selling Scotch whiskey globally. But to getting back to your point about you know wanting more flavor, I think there's certainly a truth to that because you see this uh, you know forever sort of evolving kind of you know consumer taste. And certainly in my time, I think if you look back between today, well certainly last ten years, and maybe what it looked like the decade before that. I think you're getting a lot of whiskies that are coming to the market that are going back to that, perhaps that older style where, you know, they're they're avoiding chill filtration. You know, they're bottling at higher strength. I mean, that that alone, like, let's, let's just touch on that, the higher strength. I mean, the last five, six years, you've seen significant whiskey all of a sudden just go, hey, we're going we're gonna to kick it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we just what was it before? You'd be forty to forty-four, maybe forty-five if you were lucky. You know, generally speaking, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're fifty, you're fifty-two. Hey, you want fifty-five? You got fifty-five for you too. And I, I think you know, you've you've it's something very unique. I mean, I think it's a similar type of thing with luxury cars. You've got a small group of people, relatively small group of people who. You know, are seeking out some of those whiskies that maybe deliver more in the sort of aroma, in the t- in the mouth feel, in the finish. So they gravitate quite often. They gravitate to those higher strengths, the the unfiltered whiskies. Maybe some of the whiskies that have been aged in, you know, wine barrels or interesting sort of cask 
finishes. Well, I, and I've got a whole theory on cats finishes because as because you touched there, I feel like the demand has shot up so much in the last, you know, six to eight years, like you can't possibly fulfill the barrel needs that are required by all of this consumption. So you're like, well, what else can we use? Hey, hey, that, that barrel's actually kind of good. I, I messed around. Well, let's just go for it. I don't have time to wait in line in Spain to get another refill sherry. <laughs> you, wanna, you guys want to use that wine one? It tastes good? Let's go. But it's I not just wine. Yeah. It, it, Ross, no wines. Yeah. Everything, really. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm watching all these finishes and going like, you know, I, I always, I analogy back to food. You know, you heard my non-scapesourcy that, you know, uh, yes. the, the, oh my God, I can't even think about that. Anyway, that, that one that I spoke about as a skillet. And then I, and then I look at the finishes are like sous vide, you know, like, oh, I'm going to marinate it with that one's going to have a little bit of herb. Oh, no one's ever done those herbs with that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one I'm going to put like garlic. Oh no, you should never cook garlic. With, oh wait, it tastes delicious. And, and I think <laughs> the fun is, I think the fun is starting to happen in the whiskey because of what's happened with this consumption as opposed to all right here's my four core items and that's all we make and we just sit on our hands and wait for those to sell through and then we release another now it's like well hey the cores are already good they're fine what else you guys got you're not innovating you're kind of just going to be stagnant compared to everyone else yeah no, and I, some I, overdo it and some don't you know it's the yeah. final line between you know, I, there's a couple of brands, not uh, Scotch or bourbon, another style. And I'm like, I, I feel like in their country, they're like, oh my God, these people will buy anything. We could literally piss in the barrel and sell it. And they'd be like, I put our name on it. They'll be like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> so because, because people are just like so hungry to try whiskey. Because if you go back to the 90s, when you got in the business, if you walked into your local pub to have whiskey, there probably were, what, maybe three dozen different bottles, two dozen? I mean, there wasn't like 400 on the shelf like there is now when you walk into a, into a bar. Yeah, no, I, d- I definitely agree with you. I mean, th- that you would, I mean, I grew up in Scotland and, uh, you know, if you walked into the average pub, they would probably have a couple of malts, an Isla, a Speyside, a Highland, maybe a Lowland, and they would have bells, they would have famous grouse, white Mackay, and maybe a few others. They would be selling more blended Scotch whiskey than than malt whiskey. But I do take your point. You know, every distillery is different. Every distillery has their own philosophy. Some some will innovate more than others, and it's just I think it reflects the consumer. Everyone is unique, and that's what's so appealing to 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 whiskey. It's such a broad church. There's so many different styles different provenances, jurisdictions, different rules, different countries. It really is a, you know, a, 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 such a broad church. And I think what's really amazing about the whiskey industry is that it's not just a, you know, a product and a consumer. is there's real relationships involved. And like yourself, Gavin, I mean, you have many contacts within the, within the industry. You know, there's a lot of people like yourself who, you know, have a personal relationship with, you know, some of the people behind the brand, behind the label. And that's not forget, you know, whiskey tourism is now on the up. You know, there's more people who are not just consuming the product and getting to know, going to the events. Well, they're also making the journey to the distilleries themselves, almost like a pilgrimage, you know. Well, it's a a full-on activity now. I mean, it, it really, you know, if you look at, in America, you had the Bourbon Trail, and we've had people talk, and they're like, oh, yeah, when the Bourbon Trail started, there were like seven distilleries. Yeah. And now there's like 53 yeah. of that, that all have all have gift shops and a bus that will bring you there, and they will, they will do everything for you. you know, and, and a distillery exclusive. And yeah, distillery exclusive, you can only and, buy there. Yeah, and, and a VIP experience if you got $25 more to go do something a little bit more special than the average. I mean, a good friend of mine just took a job, you know, he left America, went back to Scotland, just took a job, and he's literally the director of, like, distillery VIPs. Like, that's a full-on title. <laughs> you know, like, that that's his job. And and I and I totally agree. Like, 
the con- well, I think it's knowledge. I think out the consumer, in my opinion, currently probably has more knowledge than they know what to do with it. Because I, mm-hmm. I think like 20 years ago, you, like you said, your dad at six o'clock, my dad at six o'clock, it's like we drank whiskey because we saw others do it. There was no desire to learn anything more. It was just to keep yeah. the tradition going of what we saw. And it felt pretty good to sit down on the couch, put on a game, drink a whiskey or hang out with the boys. We used to play a lot of backgammon, drink a whiskey. Yeah. It was just a, and then now you're like, well, shit, I walk into a bar and I'm like scanning. And I'm like, is that all you have? This is the only selection? Like, I'll, what else do you have? You know, and it's, it's different now. And that's the educational part, which I think is. Unfair. Yeah. Well, that, that's been that's been very much, you know, the industry has been very good at, you know, educating the consumer. Just about every brand now you see, you know, will have some sort of founder's story that goes into the sort of heather and the weather and, you know, this founder would be an innovator and someone who'd break the mold. And so you'd have that foundational story and, or you have that foundational story. And then you've, you've also got the kind of the craft of making whiskey. So we make it slightly different from the guys down further down the valley or over, over the hill, you know, the, the, the language of whiskey, the, 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 the story. I mean, if you look at, you know, an old bottle from the 19, you know, 70s, 80s, it would pretty much have the brand name, you know, blended Scotch whiskey, a, a pretty label, and that's it. Now you pick up a, you know, a, a bottle of whiskey, well, it comes in a tube or a carton. And there's a lot of copy on that. You know, there's there's lots of stories. So, so you know, from the... It's also, it's also a higher price point because of all of that. Well, no. yeah, but, but this is but this is the magic of the industry, Gavin. It's that that the old as whiskey ages, it changes. Okay, just like human beings. And but one thing is that whiskey gets rarer as it gets older, and so you know the the rarer the whiskey, and you know what 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 motivates some consumers is collecting. You know, buying or owning whiskeys that nobody else has, whether that gives them you know social currency or gives them something to talk about or fit in or whatever, become the center of attention. There's so many different sort of motivators. You know, I was I was watching something very interesting on the flight back from New York. I was over in New York a couple of weeks ago. We were launching the 21 years old, the Glen Grant 21 years old. And, it, you know, it's a six-hour flight coming back, you know, from to San Francisco. And I'm based in Northern California. But they were, um, it was a program about the tech innovators so so you know elon musk bezos zuckerberg etc and jeff bezos the story about him is you know started amazon and now he's buying the biggest mansion on pennsylvania avenue in washington and they did sort of this scan of his house and i noticed the biggest man i mean there's about 40 rooms or something but in his basement as a scan went through each floor of the house i noticed the basement it was a whiskey bar so can you imagine you know why he's in you know pennsylvania avenue in washington dc has the biggest mansion and he's stocked up this whiskey bar likely you know with probably the rarest whiskeys on the planet it's probably to loose you know grease the wheels of course i mean huge high influence or whatever I'm, i'm just speculating but well, you know, and it look becomes at the, a social lubricant. Look at the bottles here that land in America of, you know, large marketing companies that immediately are picked up and sent back to sent to Asia because it's gifting. It's that, it's that. Um, hey, I want you to let you know how expensive that is, and you're going to enjoy it. And you know, you're my friend. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that that kind of attitude. Well, definitely, and it's stuff that you can't get. It's stuff that you, you know, the average can't get. I mean, I, you know, I, I talk about this. I mean, imagine even in 2010, if you walked into a liquor store, in most places in the world, there was something called like the glass case where they kept the top shelf stuff. That was, you know, you would aspire like, oh man, one day I'm going to drop $600 on a bottle of whiskey. One day, you know, but I'm just going to buy my $80 whiskey right now. And then now. First of all, there's no glass case anymore because they can't keep it. You know, yes. people are buying it. 
And if they have something in there, then they're being told that you're a ripoff <laughs> because instead of charging the the six hundred, they're charging nine hundred. You know, and and multi thousand. You know, I I, I see stores with fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar bottles of scotch sitting there and bourbon like it's nothing. Like hey, it's just like it was in two thousand and ten. Remember? <laughs> you need like yeah. No, I think I think print. <laughs> I think that's the I think that's the rarity kicking in there. You know, it's. There are, I mean, there's, there, there are stores now that won't even put some of their very rare bottles on display for security reasons. But you, know, you think about it, rarity is the mother of luxury. You know, I mean, it's like you look at Ferrari. I mean, they only produce a certain amount of number of Monzas a year. And you can't just go in and into a showroom and buy a Monza. You have to be, you know, within the sort of Ferrari drivers club or whatever it is. The point I'm making is that Rarity really does drive up upwards the price because there's not a lot of it, and it, and that's go back to this kind of this this motivation is that having someone something that nobody else has, you know, mm-hmm. and for for a lot of people that's a very very strong motivation. Oh, I, I mean, look at me. I mean, I have you know I have the kids' college fund, so I have I have seven hundred bottles in my whiskey investment that I started buying nine years ago. Mm-hmm. that have significantly appreciated in value. Why? Because I bought stuff, number one, that had history, you know, was aged yeah. in a period that's not like the current period in my mind. And number mm-hmm. two, nobody really wanted it when it came out, which meant it was opened and drank, which means that if they release 6,000 bottles around the world, maybe there's a 1,000 left because the other yeah. 5,000 were open because nobody really cared. Hey, we opened, you know, they used to sell these things on premise in the restaurant. The restaurant, when I used to run restaurants and nightclubs, you know, you took your bottle of alcohol and you pretty much priced it normally by dividing by like the number of pours divided by like nine. And that was your cost per pour. Your wine was divided by four. Now you can get a pour of whiskey that costs more than the actual bottle because that's just what the market is paying for it. Yeah. (laughs) You know? There's no more dividing by nine. And I was like, hey, how about you just like, hey, we got that bottle for 600 bucks. It's a thousand bucks a pour. I know. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? And, and, and because, you know, there's so much, um, I, I think that there's been, we've just kind of discussed this with other people. I don't know where you're mine. I feel like there's been a financial shift on premise from maybe not as much of a huge wine offering, still a huge wine offering. But really having this like luxury whiskey list when you're at this like fine dining experience and saying like, hey, I know you can drop six, seven thousand dollars on a bottle of wine because that's what you normally do when you mm-hmm. come in here and dine with us. But like, hey, how about a lot? I got a, a one ounce of whiskey for six hundred bucks. Yeah. And the guy's like, sure, we'll start with that. You know, that's great. We'll get around. The- I mean, I-, I went to a three star Michelin dinner recently in-, in New York with really good friends and. You know, I think what we ordered was $750 a pour with dessert, you know, for a one ounce of a multi-thousand dollar bottle, Wow! you know, and, 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 and that bottle maybe had a quarter left. So we were definitely not the only yeah. one drinking it. So, yeah. so I think that this, 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 um, the, the Jeff Bezos and some have now said, Hey, wait, there's another way we can spend our money and have fun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Hey, this whiskey seems kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I grew up, almost everybody you talk to has a whiskey history story. You know, my yeah. grandfather drank it. My grandmother drank it when she smoked a cigarette. My parents drank it. You know, my dad drank it. You know, and everyone has whiskey seemed to be a part of most culture. That the people that I'm talking to, let's say, you know, I'm not trying to be generalized, but like yeah. it seems like it's a common thread that it was seen from from your elders and you're like yeah i guess that's what we do all right cool oh, I, yeah. actually i like that and then now it's like oh my god you have unlimited knowledge and you have choices and there's tons of stuff going on and and it doesn't seem to be stopping because why would it i mean there's a thirst for it and i don't see the thirst going away and people are like well oh, we're, in a bu- we're in a bubble like i don't feel like this is vodka or or tequila or 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 in south africa it was schnapps they went through this whole thing with like 30,000 different flavors or schnapps that you could have and throw your living guts out the next morning for all the sugar. <laughs> you know, I feel like this is like, it, it's like an extension of wine. 
whiskey because there's so much great whiskey out there that it can be like wine where it's like yeah you could have a list of it why not no, no i think i think whiskey certainly appeals to the sort of um the gastronome that that explore and discoverer but you know we we can't overproduce i mean we we've seen in history no. that we've over the industry's overproduced and and taken its eye off the ball and then the consumers moved on to to something else i mean right now i mean tequila's on the out on the out and mezcal and mezcal gum in, in the gaps of it and and rum you know i'm, I'm rum like great. aged yeah. rums which obviously they have a different agent <laughs> a statement you know they, you can it's, it's different to scotch or anything that i'm used to drinking where like the the number on the bottle is the youngest this can be like hey babe you can put whatever you know like if you, if you well, try, I think it's, you know, it's that curiosity. <laughs> it's that it's that curiosity that's driving consumers, you know, beyond whiskey. And you know, I think I have a theory right now. I mean, a lot of that sort of Gen X, millennial, sorry, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennial. Gen Z. Yeah, they, they they they're enjoying bourbon and they're they're uh, sort of exploring the bourbon category and they, you know, they're moving on from some of the more available bourbons to maybe some of the rarer wheated bourbons and, and then rye comes in and plays this kind of almost like the the peated scotch whiskey mm -hmm. and this and then it's the craft whiskies the american single malts and and i think for many of them the next frontier is going to be scotch whiskey because it's such a you know a diverse category but we have to be very careful gavin because i think we you know we've seen this before i mean 1920s and 1930s there was a big crash you know there was overproduction and then you know cons consumption went down same in the 1980s you know the the industry was a little bit overstocked so you know what we're distilling now and we're filling into barrels you know that's 10 15 20 years down the line are consumers still going to be into whiskey then that's that's the big sort of bet i think uh you know, a lot of the producers are, are, are taking right now is building up well, stocks for the future. And it's almost because I feel like a lot of them got caught, you know, for lack of better words, with their pants down and going, God, I wish I would have laid more down. You know, look at these people. They're buying 20, 25, 30, 40 years. Like they're buying it. And we, it was right there. We just don't have enough to actually like do something with it. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because I talked to a lot of people from like the 80s. And they and they'll say like, "Oh, I wish I would have left them alone." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, "I wish I would have left them alone." You like, yeah. I mean, we all have that. I mean, I know, and you probably know that that we've drank some very vintage whiskey, and you like, it's almost like I tell people it's like a time capsule. You go back in time. You're like, "Oh, what was this like? What was this like when this guy put it in a barrel in 1965? He had no cell phone." No email. His wife couldn't get hold of him at work. <laughs> Nobody sure. could bother him. He went to work. He skipped home with a with a with a plastic jug of of uh, of whatever they let him take home every Friday after work. And he sat there going like, "Hey, I got paid. Life's good." You know? Yeah. No, he went on one vacation a year, and he, he didn't see social media. And he had no idea. And you're like, "Well, now that's changed." And like in this world that I play in, you know, I have that investment side of me that's looking for those rare and scarce. And then what I've always been is that is that geek who wants to like learn. Like I want to learn about, tell me why, who did this? Why? Like yeah. what was this like? You know, and, and I think that's the fun part seeing in this, whatever it is, whether it lasts or not, has been this kind of resurrection of, of players. For lack of better words, you know, this was a business, you know, up until the late 90s, early 2000s, that was dominated by a couple of handfuls of players. And now there's more out there and, and they're all unique and it, it depends on a different thing. I mean, I'm, you know, any of these auctions from London, I mean, I'm buying stuff on page 175 of the auction. You know, I, I just bought a Gordon and McPhail, uh, Highland Park 11 that was bottled in like 1988. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was like for like $80. Yep. Everyone's yep. focusing on the first 20 pages going like, all right, if I buy that McCowan 78 for 40 grand, is it going to be worth 45,000 next week? 
<laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm buying shit to drink and, and I'm going, I don't want anything below like 25 years from that period. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, the sherry cask was different. Just, you know, no, you're not it's right there. you know, it's just, it's a different experience. And for me, it's also a bunch of different players. Like I've never, and, and that's what, you know, going back to how we started on universal whiskey, the reason why I love that event is because Mahesh brings out brands that don't have billion dollar marketing campaigns, yeah. but they make amazing whiskey. No, you know, like you work, right. you work for a house. I mean, I grew up, you know, in summers, I drank Campari neat. Uh-huh. That's what we drank. We go, you'd go to, you'd go any restaurant in Cape town. You would sit down for dinner. I would drink Campari. There were two reasons. Number one, I love the taste. Number yeah. two, nobody else did. So nobody else was like, oh, can I have a sip of that? Oh, can I try that? No. <laughs> like, I don't like that. Even my wife, when I first, when I first started, you know, I've always had a bottle of Campari in the, in the, in the fridge. I just, you know, no ice, just cold, cold bottle. And she's like, oh my God, that's just disgusting. I'm like, to me, it's just soothing. I'm drinking my whole life. You know, like, Glad to hear it, Gavin. <laughs> you know, I don't need, every now and again, I'll take a little orange rind and throw it in there, you know, just for fun. But I'm like, I don't really need it. Like, I don't, I don't, same as I have with whiskey. It's like, I know what I enjoy, but whiskey has just been wild. Well, you, you, you've, got to, you, you've got to try the, the, the Glen Grant 12 years old Boulevardier, which, um, which yeah. is, has Campari in it. Great yeah. cocktail. Lovely. Well, I look forward to having that in Vegas with you. Questions? Yes. Question, because we're doing pretty good on time over here. Okay. Yeah. Like for you, in 1994, you go, you get into the business. Like, do you have a couple of like standout experiences in whiskey where you're like, wow, that was cool? You know, so I, when I start, I started in Glasgow in 94. And I think for the first three years, it was planning production, you know, across something like 57 bottling lines and four bottling plants. You know, my work was in front of the computer screen booking production slots. Not not very exciting mm -hmm. until I moved into this sort of the marketing sales area. That was um, that was a real eye opener because I think my, it was my first exposure two single malts and I had been at training it was a, an internal training on you know on on the I think at the time I, I can't remember how many distilleries were part of the, the company but I remember bringing back about 30 samples of liquid from all of the distilleries under the same you know company and what what was incredible for me was the different colors the different aromas, the different, you know, tastes. And it was just, it just gave me this, opened my eyes to the incredible diversity of whiskey. Now, that's, this is my 30th year. Now I've, I've worked on five, five or six continents. You know, I've, I've met people from all over the world and it truly is a remarkable industry. I mean, I have so many incredible experiences in different countries you know, on the road. But at the end of the day, it's a people industry, Gavin. And, 100%. you know, that that's what makes it really, really special is that, you know, there's a real direct contact between, you know, people like myself, you know, to bartenders, to retailers, and to consumers. You know, it's, we're, we're kind of, each link in the chain, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're involved in. You know, it's, it's always great to go to events where you see old friends, old colleagues, you know, there'll be people at, in Las Vegas that I used to work with, but now we're- Yeah, all I, I'm telling you that Friday night, like as a consumer in that room, and then you guys are the, all there with the brand, it's like always like a reunion. Oh, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Oh, I remember yeah, this. You, you know, it's like, and, and because, and then it'll, it'll be interesting watching each one of you guys kind of move around the room. It's like, hey, I'm going to leave my station for a second. I want to go try what they're pouring over there. Like, oh, yeah. man. Like, you know, like, it's like, that's what I love about Universal Whiskey. It just is nothing like it. Well, that's a good point. It doesn't, it doesn't make it anything like what it is. You know, like, I'm not judging down other events. There's just nothing like this one. Well, uh, Gavin, I mean, what you say is really true. I mean, you know, 
as people on the industry side, I mean, we're, we're always learning. We're always learning, not just from, you know, rubbing shoulders with other competitor companies and the people from those companies that we're, we know or we're meeting for the first time, but also I always learn a lot from, you know, from the, you know, Mahesh, people like Mahesh, D. Wayne Poor, some, some of those collectors who have been collecting, you know, for many, 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 many years. And you're always learning. You're always meeting new people, learning new things. You know, it, it, it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. One of my only thing is the, the only thing that I sometimes sort of wince about is some of those very, very, very collectible bottles that will never be opened. No one will ever drink those liquids. That's, I think that's probably for me the only downside. No, no, no. I don't agree with that. But, I, there is I, no answer for that. You know, there is a place. I, I, I fear. I mean, you know, I, I tell people if money was no object, of course I would open. But there's stuff that I've bought for two grand that's worth 35,000. And no matter how good the whiskey, I'd rather have my kid get the 35 grand on a $2,000 bet that I placed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the come, not knowing. But yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's where for me, you know, if I'm out and I see something, you know, I will, I will pay for it to try it. It doesn't mean. I will open my bottle, but like one of the things that I've really tried to do is like off some of my luxury stuff, like to try it because like I'm curious. I know what it's worth. Take the money out of it. I know that the liquid's inside good. I'm probably not going to open unless who knows what happens and maybe that does happen and I don't, I can open them all. But yeah, I totally hear what you're saying on that. You know, it, 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 it has become different and, you know, whiskey is meant to be drunk and whiskey is meant to be shared. And a hundred percent, those all those amazing memories. It's just really hard when you know when the values. It's real, real money. Yeah, no, I, I think investment is is an important part of the the industry as well, Gavin. I mean, I think you know it, it's a it's a small part of the industry, but it's a Very highly nice. influential part of the industry. And I think the coolest thing about it, though, is, okay, it's, it's an influential because it's the education and all that kind of stuff and the valuations, all of that. But I also think it's, it's put luxury whiskey into more people's hands as opposed to in, in, from what I hear, you know, from earlier in the 2000s, you know, there would be a gentleman or two or three, you know, on every continent that would pretty much buy all that high-end stuff. And then maybe go sell to the Jeff Bezos, you know, of the world. Yeah. And it was a business for them. You know, they weren't opening them. They just, nobody else wanted it. They had the money. And they'd be like, cool, you know, if you guys can't sell that to a liquor store or to on-premise, I'll spend it. I mean, there's a gentleman that comes into California with briefcases of cash. I know that for a fact. And I'm sure he's making money out of it. He's sure not drinking it. So I feel like the, the game just got spread into more hands. And there's more people in it now, but to me, it's like the time for brands to shine and have fun because the loyalty, not and, and loyalty is a rough word, um, the inability to think outside of maybe five different whiskeys is now like the average consumer could try 50 whiskeys, where yes. prior to that, it was probably five or six. So their palate is like, oh, I want to try that. Oh, you can't. And this is why. This is yeah. and the, and the bartenders and the whiskey bars and the whiskey experiences the education, I believe is at an all time higher because before when I ran restaurants and nightclubs if you ordered Johnny Walker Blue you were kind of a dick, you were just trying to show everybody else up, you know like it wasn't that amazing but you you were going to show everybody else up now it's like it's not like that you know and now it's like oh wait you know what you're talking about you're not just shopping on the price list yeah. Yeah, no, we, 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 you know, as a, as a marketer, we, we look at, you know, we look at all the sort of the facets of the sort of consumer universe where you have that sort of very rare collectible end, you know, the, the, there's the bread and butter side of it, you know, the core range, you know, the 12, the 15, the 18 years old. Yeah. And we put a lot of focus on, on that to, to make sure that the quality is as, 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 as good as it can be. You know, quality, harmony, consistent consistency. That's another thing. You know, yeah. You know, you're, if you're 12 years old, if you're if you're batching, you know, two to three hundred barrels every time you bot you go to bottle. You know, you've got to make sure that that 
the, this batch that you're, you're producing now is is as consistent as the batch before and the batch before that. You know, so behind the behind the scenes, there's a lot of you know work that goes on to 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 make the whiskies that are maturing to be bottled now, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. You know, quality is the name of the game. You know, um, you know, like I say, I mean, the older the whiskey, the the rarer it's going to become, the more interesting it's going to become, and and and, and the price is going to you start to grow, and also to reach the consumer now. I mean, in the old days when I started, marketing would be, you know, full page ads in glossy magazine. That still happens. Of course, it mm-hmm. still happens, but. There's way more sort of liquid to lips event, organized events. I mean, look at in this market in the US. I mean, how many different whiskey shows are there? <laughs> Every other week. I mean, the, yeah, the, you, you, could, you could basically fill your entire calendar 365 days of the year and be at a different event every night. Yeah. Layer on top of that, you know, the, the amount of education that goes into the trade, you know, but you mentioned bartenders, retailers, you know, there's a lot of work, you know, winning the hearts and minds of the trade, you know, and look at what the different social media has brought to whiskey, particularly, you know, that, that driving that curiosity of, you know, oh God, you know, you'll have people who, I mean, like yourself, Gavin, you know, you'll discover something, you'll, you'll, your treasure trove, you'll find something maybe in one of the auction sites or maybe in some old liquor store, you know, tucked away in, in that sort of a neighborhood that, that's off the beaten track. And you'll find, you know, maybe an old bottle of, you know, Glen Grant 20, 20 years, 20 years old in the old square bottle. You know, that these things still happen. These still things still happen. And, and then what you're going to do is you're going to post that and Instagram, it's going to get, you know, 20,000 eyeballs and you're probably going to get lots of comments and curiosity and it just, it keeps driving, it keeps this, uh, you know, this content keeps feeding that, you know, that interest and it's all quite, and I, and and I, and I like to call it disruption because like literally that's how I am. I don't, you know, I very rarely work in a paid capacity with any brands just because it's not part of my story. My story is my investment. My story is the kids' college fund. The story is the education that I'm gaining. So for me, it's like if I see something, you know, and and a brand takes the time to educate me, I'm all yours. Yeah, you know, like I because that's what I care about. Like I've got choices. I I exercise my choices, but I also can make my own choices. You know, hey, like I don't need a brand to be like, hey, you should try this because I'm like, well, tell me more. So I think that's become the fun for me because when I first started. Yeah. This little project, I had no, I, you know, I could never have fathomed. First of all, I'd get to doing all the stuff that I get to do, the stuff I get to drink, the stuff I get to buy. Like this was me sitting in a NICU with a premature child who was born five weeks early, going, "Hey, something's up in whiskey." And I'm sitting here at night reading her stories. I'm just, how funny would it be to buy whiskey as an alternative investment strategy, just to keep my mind off the little kid that was sitting there with all these tubes inside her, and she was going to be okay. I was like. And not and, and to look at it now, I'm like, whoa! Like I do some pretty cool stuff. I've got a pretty insane collection. I get to talk to amazing people like yourself with all of this history that is like in you. You are the history. You're the walking encyclopedia Britannica of like I've seen a lot of stuff and it's pretty darn cool. And for me to have access to tap into that is like, I mean, it's a big word, but it whiskey life changing because i get to see cool stuff yeah yeah no yeah. Th- thank you gavin it's it's a, it's a it's fun i mean it's great to be able to sort of you know share some of those stories and that experience and because you, you know like people like you and there's many 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 others are yes. there's a, a thirst for that knowledge there's a thirst for those stories and we're more than happy to share them well, I appreciate this was a hell of a chat today. This is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I can't wait to hang out with you next week in Vegas and have some more fun and can't wait to see your uh, you know, <laughs> your industry reunion on Friday night, probably Thursday night too at the Legends dinner. Uh yep. you know, it's it's a it's just it's a it's an amazing weekend and you know, I can't thank Mahesh enough for 
curating such an amazing event. Uh, you know, if anyone has time, Mahesh's podcast, I think we put it up last week. It's insane. Rob, do you want to give any plugs? Robin, you want to give any plugs? Any you want anyone to look at you on Instagram or anything? Yeah, well, let me know. <laughs> uh, yes, I have a social media presence. I'm on <laughs> Facebook. I'm on Instagram at, at, at Robin Cooper, R-O-B-I-N-C-O-U-P-A-R. Please come and, and visit me and follow me. I'll follow you back. I, I love to meet people. I love to... Especially when you got hacked, Robert. Especially when you got hacked and got those Ferraris all of a sudden. Oh, my God. Well, I guess that's... I think that's to be expected those days. Yeah, I know it was quite funny. I got hacked by crooks who were trying to sort of get rich quick by by selling cryptocurrency. (laughs) The truth is, I'd never... I don't even know what cryptocurrency is. Um, (laughs) I'm much better at selling whiskey than I am cryptocurrency. But, um, well... No, it, it listen. It's been great to hang out with you, Gavin. I I really look forward to meeting you again <laughs> next week at the uh, at the Universal Whiskey Experience and, and share a, a couple of drams. Um, I look really look forward to that. Well, thank you again for coming on, and listeners, we will see you soon. And thanks everyone for tuning in today. Definitely follow Robin. Um, you know, this is the kind of cool stuff. People with amazing whiskey passion, and I appreciate you all listening. 